class, and we will continue on talking about how the cross is central to the believer's life. Um, last class, we talked about substitution, <clears throat> and we talked about it kind of in two ways. I don't know if I really um, um, made a difference to you, but there was I was talking along two aspects of substitution. One aspect was Jesus did something we could never do, so he was our substitute. The death that we die wouldn't ever do what Jesus' death can do. It would never accomplish what he could accomplish. And our death doesn't really mean anything. People die every day and it's not changing the world and it's not (laughs) bringing people closer to Jesus. But Jesus's death brings forth life. And Jesus's death um, was what was pleasing to the Father because of the nature of the death. So that was one aspect I was talking about. The other aspect of the substitutionary work of the cross has to do with the fact of the forgiveness of sins. Okay. That because Jesus died for us, he paid the penalty. His his death specifically dealt with um, what was held against us um, in the fall of man and in our, our our own personal sin life, if you want to put it like that. And Jesus' death, his blood satisfies the requirements for the penalty of sin and the consequences of sin. And so we saw that the substitutionary work of the cross is foundational to all other aspects of the cross, which is central, but it also is a specific work in reference to sins. Okay. So we're going to continue now um, and move past or move on to other aspects of what the cross has accomplished besides the forgiveness of sins. Um, This whole area of the forgiveness of sins puts many believers in a quandary, okay? Because if you're totally forgiven and everything that you've ever done wrong and ever will do wrong has been totally paid for by the blood of Jesus and you walk free, okay, if you go totally free, um, what guarantee is there that that will never happen again? Let's say that you're a serial killer and you kill seven people and you get saved and you say, I'm forgiven. I'm going to go to heaven. God is with me. And then you walk off and kill seven more people because you were forgiven. Would you say that that person had an ample understanding of salvation and the cross? Well, no. Just to say someone is totally forgiven doesn't really address all the issues at hand. Okay, all the issues in reference to sin. Um, This puts believers in a situation because on the one hand, we know that um, we are totally forgiven when we get saved. But then what do we do after we get saved? We begin to feel a feeling of guilt when we do things wrong. We feel like somehow there's an obligation on our part to live a different life than what we lived before we got saved. And there's a general understanding, a general consensus among most Christian groups on this front. But how that comes about is another issue. Okay. And um, because of this, we have different, well, we have different groups of believers <laughs> who um, are, which are called denominations. But because of this, we get different, different tactics, if you will, different strategies on how to deal with once you're forgiven and you've made this fresh start in Jesus, what do you do about everything else when you continue to sin? Because I yet have yet to meet a believer that got saved and then never sinned again. Not only that, I have met many believers who not only sinned again, but sinned repeatedly in certain areas or perhaps couldn't get over certain sins, even though they got saved. Maybe they were able to get over a drug habit or maybe they were able to get over you know, a pornography habit, but there was still a gossip problem or, or a gluttony problem or some other aspect where sin kind of just popped up and it, and it haunted them and it shamed them and it made them afraid of um, what other people might think of them if they found out. Um, 
how can they know they're really saved in their hearts, but how can they claim they are saved if they really are having these issues where sin is dominating them? Okay. So what do you do with that? Because you say, well, I'm completely forgiven, but if want to say, if you want to say I'm completely forgiven, so nothing else matters, I'm just forgiven. Then there's certainly an abuse of the cross going on there on a certain level. Cause how can you say, well, I'm totally forgiven. I can do whatever I want. So there's an abuse of the cross. But the minute you put down a standard of living, well, if you're really a Christian, you ought to live like this. Then you've got the law. So on one hand, you can, if all you have is a cross that forgives your sins, that paid the price for your sins, you have two choices. You can either go under the law to behave yourself. And I don't mean what was talked about on Sunday, which is the law as a tool. I mean the law as your life, the way that you live. You can either do that or you can just continue to live. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. And I get to do whatever I want. Okay. For most believers, the cross is pretty much a tool for forgiveness and they don't have an answer for what to do after that. Then you have some theological answers, but very few believers I've found have real solid spirit revealed knowledge as to what to do then. <laughs> okay. Most um, Christian groups, we'll say Protestant groups, most because pro- that's who we're going to deal with mostly. And, and, and um, the Catholic Church has their own set of troubles on this, um, but Protestants are not exempt from doing many things that we, we claim that Catholics do that are wrong. We just accept the same problem in a different form, pretty much. So we'll just stick with Protestant groups. We do things like this. We say things like this. Well, now that you're saved, you don't want to take advantage of that grace and abuse that grace, so now you need to live as best as you can, and God will help you. Okay. That's once you're forgiven, you're obligated. If you're forgiven, you're obligated to live better than what you were before you were forgiven. Well, if you're really forgiven, you're forgiven. If you're really not forgiven, you're not forgiven. What's up with the strings now that you've been forgiven? The whole thing is a little, it's a little inconsistent. You see what I'm saying? I'm I'm not saying that any Christian leader or group is out there um, maliciously yanking strings, but I'm just saying, let's examine um, let's examine what we believe and just see if it lines up with the word of God. And if it doesn't, let's throw it out and find the, and, and it, replace it with reality. Um, we say things like, um, we do things like we get someone led to the Lord and then we start them on a discipleship routine. And basically it's a behavior modification pro- program to um, take them off the streets on the nights that party nights are big. Um, this is how Christians dress appropriately and they show the proper verses this is how christians spend their time they spend a certain amount of time in the bible they spend a certain amount of time witnessing they pray they visit the sick they you know show up at church on sunday so you have time your time slots filled this is how christians spend their time this is how christians speak they say they use certain types of terminology depending on your sect or denomination and uh this is what our group believes we believe in this eschatology and we believe in the holy spirit in this function we begin to pump them full of our doctrines this are our creeds this is what we believe and then they say and you're forgiven of your sins and this is how you live now if you're a christian okay so there's a whole regimen certain certain christian groups will um get on the whole self-improvement thing they've they've made the christianity a self-realization program so god is there for you to make you the best person you can be to make sure that you know what all your personal giftings are and that you can be used in your talents to your fullest capacity so that you can live a happy a self-fulfilling and self-realizing lifestyle. And they just, after the cross and the forgiveness of sins, they leave Jesus right out of it and move on to exalting the human being. Okay. Other Christian groups use the guilt tactic and say um, things like, um, Jesus saved you. He gave his life for you. So shouldn't you give your life for him and give your best to him? And they put you on a, on a, on a guilt trip or try to, because what are they trying to do? 
Because we all know that the whole the pull of sin has not gone away just because you've been born again. And they are trying, or I should say we, because I'm not trying to point a finger at any group. I believe every believer wrestles with these issues, whether consciously or unconsciously. Okay, We're trying to control or modify something in us. Because we feel like if we're Christians, we really should have changed and we want, we want to be changed. But instead of really understanding the cross and how the cross has truly changed us, we set about to, to make our own change happen. Okay. And so we, we, we live under feelings of guilt and obligation. We live under the law. We, um, go the self-realization route and say, well, we're really basically good people and we just need to be, you know, properly developed. Or we do behavior modification programs and say, you know, a Christian looks like this, talks like this, walks like this, spends his time like this, has these type of friends. And we have all these different ways of dealing with the sin issue. And no one is really saying we're dealing with the sin issue, but that's what we're doing. Okay. We want to get the divorce rate down. So a whole bunch of books come out on how to have, have a better marriage. Okay, not, and I'm not slamming on divorced people here, but just, just hear me out on this. Um, wouldn't the self-life being dealt with handle a lot of marital problems? Just like they would handle a lot of other problems, like, you know, world wars and, and you know, people cheating each other. And you see what I'm saying? The cross coming into situations would, would deal with issues where, that we're trying to deal with in a completely humanistic way. Okay, is, is my point. So, um... We don't know what to do with the sin problem. As a church, the church world as a whole in our country does not know what to do with sin. So we, could, we suppress it. We try to control it. We try to behavior modify. And if all that doesn't work and some, some kind of ugly sin pops out of someone that is, above, that is the, um, below the certain standard of living, certain sins are kind of okay in the church, frankly, and some sins are not okay. Some sins can be overlooked and forgiven, and they're not really that bad. And some sins are really bad that proves that you shouldn't be fellowshiped with. If you sin a certain kind of sin, you're still okay, and you're still a good Christian. But if you sin another kind of sin, you are excommunicated from your group. You're either asked to leave the church, your friends drop you like a hot potato. And if you haven't seen it, you just stick around. You just stick around. I don't mean to sound cynical, but I was raised in the church, and I do know of what I speak, and I've seen it happen so many times. And, um, but you still have this problem. But there really was a sin, and people don't know what to do with it. So they try and modify it, and when that doesn't work, they're like, well, we, we know we're not supposed to be associated with sin, and we know sinners aren't supposed, or Christians aren't supposed to sin, so I'm going to allow cut myself off from the sinful situation, and I'm not going to be affiliated with it. And that's about as best as most Christians can do. And it's really too bad, because it shows our real, honestly, our lack of understanding of the cross. And um, again, I'm not putting down any particular Christian group. I believe this is true of every believer. Every single believer goes through something along these lines. I, I've met very few believers who haven't. And I, they're, they're out there, but they're really the exception to the rule unhappily. Well, um, I'm happy to say that um, the Paul dealt with this issue, <laughs> and he dealt with it very conclusively and very clearly. And, um, the, and not only did Paul deal with it, our Heavenly Father dealt with it, okay? He foresaw the issue, and he dealt with it. As a matter of fact, he never meant for there to be an issue, and he really never meant for there to be an understanding of the cross in substitution apart from the understanding of the cross in identification because the fact of the matter is it's all the same cross, okay? But different, there are different aspects that we're kind of singling out and bringing into the forefront for the sake of examining these things, okay? So... Um, <clears throat> To deal with this issue, we'll also deal with the um, quandary most believers find themselves in of some sort of hazy um, standard that they're not really measuring up to and feeling like they don't quite, they're not quite there. Um, there's always one more thing they ought to do. There's always 
a better way they ought to be and because their feet are not on solid ground. When people say things like, yes, he forgave us, but we ought to at least be. Yes, he forgave us, but we don't want to give a license for sin. And you begin to hear these issues. We go, yeah, yeah, because we feel it in our lives. Like, yeah, yeah, there ought to be something different, but I don't know what it is. You know, there ought to be something different about, I mean, from the point I get saved, there ought to be a change in my life. But, you know, so, yeah, it must be that I'm obligated now. I am now, we don't want to, you know. We don't want to mar God's name. We want to prove that Christianity works so we can't show anyone that we sin. You know, (laughs) we don't want to, um, as if, you know, we defend the Lord's name. Seriously, people. Seriously. You know, first of all, we're doing a terrible job. And second of all, if he really needed us to do it, he would have asked. And he never really has asked us to defend his holy name in the sense of, like, somehow by our lifestyle prove that he's real and he's capable of saving. (laughs) He is perfectly capable of declaring and justifying himself before mankind. And he will handle it just fine. Um, without us creating little Ishmaels to prove his point, okay? And um, <clears throat> in no way will he do it by justifying sin, ever, okay? Um, so this whole license for sin issue is what pops up. Yes, God forgave us, but we don't want to give a license for sin. We don't want sin to become okay, so we say, you're forgiven, but you're forgiven, but hang this over your head so you stay in line. You're forgiven, but... You're forgiven, but, and, and this is the way most churches deal with it. And what this ends up happening is making the sin problem a morality issue instead of a life and death issue. You see, from God's point of view, it's not a morality issue first. And for most believers, morality is the acid test of whether or not someone is a believer. Morality. Now, I'm not saying we should be immoral and we can still be good Christians. I'm just saying that we trying to be moral in our human striving after Jesus comes into our hearts is being, it's beginning in the spirit and trying to be made perfect in the flesh, which Paul says is a big impossibility and no, no in Galatians chapter three, I think. Um, but the issue is not about morality. The issue is life and death. If you are living in one life, you are living in death. If you are living in another life, you are living in Christ's life and unto God. It's one or the other. Okay, and sin is going to be in one life, and no sin is going to be in the other. Okay, so if you have the right life, morality will follow. But if you're just making it an issue of morality, I was, an immor- I was immoral as an unbeliever, and now I need to straighten out my act and be moral to prove that God changed me, <laughs> which is completely erroneous reasoning. doesn't make any sense. If you really changed it, you wouldn't have to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you know. And I believe he really did change you. And I really believe you don't have to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And that if you come into the knowledge of the cross the way that we're supposed to, sin does not have dominion over you. And it's a lack of knowledge of the cross that that is the problem, not um, a lack of provision, which is what most believers in deep in their hearts and unconsciously and unknowingly actually think. And it's not that we're trying to put down the Lord or we doubt the Lord consciously, but we really don't believe the cross is as all-consuming as it really is. It really did take care of the sin domination issue. And that's why God can say you are totally forgiven and let you go free. Because he didn't just forgive you. He put you to death. And we're going to see what that means. So having said all this, And this is why I'm harping on this, okay? This is why it's so important to me. Because I have seen, and I wrote my newsletter on this actually this month, I have seen so many believers who love the Lord live in a state of 
guilt and uncertainty and unsettledness because they do not fully understand how finished the cross really is and how complete of a provision it is. And it's just so bad because if these things aren't settled, how can Christ be living out of us? How can't? Because all of this, the cross is the basis for which Jesus is able to be revealed in us and come out of us. And so if we jump down the line to, I want it to be Christ in me, I want it to be Christ in me, and we're still dealing with guilt like sin consciousness and we're not um really believing into the finished work of the cross we're really building our house on shifting sand we really are and it's going to come crashing down at some point because the whole thing is supposed to stand on the work of the cross and the finished work of the cross so this is why i'm i'm dealing with this so it is a valid question to say what someone's just forgiven and they can just go free and that's it that's a valid question just how we've tried to answer it as human beings is completely has completely disregarded the Lord's mind and his view and and his work. So we're going to be in Romans chapter 6 today. We're dealing with the work of the cross in reference to... I'm sorry, Josiah, I was not staring at you until you opened your Bible. I hope you didn't catch... I just was kind of like thinking and collecting my thoughts. So, okay, good. (laughs) I stared at him and stared at him and then he opened his Bible. I was like, I'm sorry. That's not what I meant. (laughs) Um, Yes. Um, it's a valid, it's a valid question. Like, well, what do we do then? Are we just forgiven and that's it? We can just do whatever we want because everything we do is forgiven. I can just walk over there if if I think that you know Jennifer looks at me wrong and bop her on the head and say, forgiven. You know, <laughs> that is yeah, woohoo. You know, aw. Um, is that okay? And Paul says, well, no, it's not okay. And most Christians would agree, well, no, it's not okay. But why we say it's not okay is is the issue. So we're going to start in Romans chapter 6, and I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace, meaning forgiveness for sins, may abound? God forbid. God forbid it. God forbid it. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer in it? And And then he says, or don't you know? Verse 3, or don't you know? Well, apparently not. <laughs> apparently the Romans didn't, and apparently a bunch of believers today don't either. But I have good news. You're supposed to know. And the Holy Spirit has every intention of making sure that you know. Okay? Um, so Paul says, is addressing this very issue. This is the issue. There's a forgiveness of sins, but he also deals with where the sins are coming from. So he cuts it off at the root. He forgives the things that have already happened or will be the manifestations, the fruit on the outside, but he also deals with the root that produces those sinful acts that require the forgiveness. It's okay. So um, um, he forgives the sins, okay, and then puts to death the sinner. He does both. He does both. Putting to death or forgiving the sins was the work of substitution. Putting to death the sinner is what we're going to call ident- a work of identification. This is a theological term. If you take your Strong's Concordance out, you're not going to find this in the Bible. So we're using this word for teaching purposes because a lot of different people use it. And if you come across it again, you'll know what they're talking about and you'll be able to grasp the idea in the scriptures. But the Lord may show you using completely different wording and that's okay too, okay? But that's the word that we're going to use. So he says, no, you're not supposed to just continue in sin. And, you know, most Christians agree with that. But instead of saying, instead of saying, God forbid, we that have gotten saved ought to try harder. (laughs) Or God forbid, we who are born again ought to modify our behavior. Or, God forbid, we who have been forgiven ought to have guilt trips put on us to keep us in line. 
God forbid, we should immediately go under the law so that we can behave ourselves. It doesn't say any of those things. That's not how the Lord addresses sin. He says, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? His answer is the cross, but in a different working than him simply forgiving us of our sins. See, if just forgiveness were required, Jesus can die for our sins, pay the penalty, and that's all the cross does. But because we're dealing with a source, and this is why, this is why, you know, epiphany moment for all of us at some point, this is why I keep doing these things and can't seem to stop. Because there's a source inside of me. There's a source inside. And it just, a certain life produces certain things. Just like a certain seed, if I planted an acorn, I would get an oak tree, okay? And if I mate a bull and a cow, I get a calf, okay? I get something after its kind. There's a certain, if you will, seed or life that I was born, that was in me at birth. It is just naturally there. And it has certain symptoms, or it has certain earmarks, or it has certain qualities to it. Some of those qualities are really great. <laughs> some of those qualities are not so great. So you could say some of those qualities are good and some are evil. <laughs> but what we notice usually is the evil, and that's usually what drives us to the Lord. Okay. So the death is the answer, but it's death in a way that, while in a certain sense includes the substitutionary work, because it still has to be Jesus' death, now it's not just Jesus dying. Somehow we are now participating in the cross. We died too, somehow or other. And the rest of the book of, or, I'm sorry, the rest of the chapter, Romans chapter 6, deals with this very thing, that we died too. And when we died, there was a specific death. It wasn't just, you know, I threw myself off of, you know, the Empire State Building one day. You know, and, oh, and became jelly on the sidewalk. Though there's a certain kind of death, and it specifically has to do with being dead to sin. Dead to sin. <clears throat> Let's look at this wording one more time. God forbid, how shall we that ought to die for sin live any longer in it? Does it say that? No. How shall we who need to put ourselves to death to sin live any longer therein? No. How shall we who will die to sin one day live any longer in it? No. How should we that are already dead to sin? Already dead to sin. Well, when did that happen? I just sinned two minutes ago. When did I die to sin? I, didn't, I don't feel very dead. I haven't experienced any death. My feelings are telling me exactly the opposite. My feelings are telling me that sin is alive and well in my members. Okay, that's a good question. Verse 3. Or don't you know... Don't you know that whichever ones of you were baptized into Christ got a package deal? And everything that Christ is, is now a part of your reality too? Okay. Don't you know that? Why, no, I didn't. Well, good, let's start. It's never too late. Don't you know? What we see in verse 2 is that something already happened. It already happened. God didn't ask you. It's not a personal dealing. You being dead to sin is not a personal dealing where you're going to be personally dealt with about sin. And then you're going to feel like you're dying and then you die. Okay. What he's saying is it already happened. And perhaps the reason why we don't understand it is not working in us is because we don't know. 
Well, I know. I know that I'm dead to sin. I've read Watchman Nee's book on the normal Christian life. And I've read so-and-so's book on Romans chapter 6. And I've read, I know all about it. It's not working. Well, maybe that's not the kind of knowing Paul's talking about. Okay? I think he's talking about the transforming kind of knowing, not the familiarize yourself with the topic kind of knowing. And there is a difference. Can anybody say amen? <laughs> Anyone know the difference between the two at all? I know that I tend to be more of a stuff it in your head kind of knowing, and that was a real bad habit. And the Lord had to break me of that, and he knows, and he did. Um, and I still enjoy gathering knowledge and information, and that's all great and stuff, but I know that that doesn't transform me now. I know that it doesn't. We need to have the transformation knowledge. The only kind of transfer- knowledge that transforms is spirit-revealed knowledge, specifically Christ-revealed, because the only thing the spirit reveals is Christ. Okay? And so... Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Well, I don't feel dead. Well, it doesn't ask, it's not asking about your personal experience. Okay, so far we haven't talked at all about your personal experience. We're talking about something that happened to Jesus. And we're saying that was his experience. Okay, and what he experienced, or should I say, what the benefits of what he's experienced are given to us. Okay. Um, let's see. Jesus's death affects us because we are in Christ. Okay. Jesus's death affects us because we are in Christ. And I am all for personal dealings by the Holy Spirit. Totally. Okay. But I will tell you that the most foundational and important things that you need as a believer, are not personal dealings ultimately, but to have your eyes opened into, unto the reality of being in Christ. Okay? Because there is nothing that God can do with you as a son, as an individual son, that is not going to be based upon your faith in the finished work of the cross. Okay? And your eyes being opened to it. There's nothing he can do. Because your life will be a history of mingling between what is you and what is Christ. It will be up again, down again. Okay, you'll be high on the wings of the experience of, you know, something the Lord's shown you in the word or how he's used you. And then you'll be down in the dumps because the enemy's attacking you and you've just messed up. And it's up and down and up and down because it's all based on you. Okay, Um, it's all about God's dealing with me. God's dealing with me. God's dealing with me as if the eternal plan of God rests on you, you know, somehow being transformed into a perfect son of God. Um, It doesn't. The um, eternal plan of God is sealed safely in Christ, where it will remain and where it is incorruptible. And if nobody sees it, Jesus still did it. What being conformed to the image of the Son means is that instead of there being a breach between what is true in Christ and what happens in your personal experience, your personal experience becomes an expression of what is in Christ. That is conformity to the image of the Son. If you are going to begin to live by the life of Christ, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm going to say it anyway. If you're going to live the life of Christ, okay, that cannot happen until that death has been settled in you. Okay. Being baptized into Christ Jesus is the beginning of this process. Oh, well, I'm way down the road in the Lord, and I've never learned that. You know, God uses me all the time, and I have all kinds of revelations in the Word. Well, I'm, I'm happy for you, and I don't doubt the Spirit's been working the whole time, because He's like that. But I'm telling you that if life, specifically the life of Christ, is what you are called to live, you begin with baptism into His death. 
because Jesus couldn't get raised until he was dead. There's no way we're going to skip that order. There's no way that God's going to put you down the road somewhere and knowing all about life and knowing all about manifesting Christ and knowing all about the lamb in you and all this type of stuff when there has been no headway in your faith relationship with the Lord as far as resting in the finished work of the cross. He can't do it. And there's reasons for that that I'm not going to get into now. Well, I guess I could get into them now. God is so good and man is so deceived. Seriously, God is just way past any goodness we could ever, ever comprehend. He is so pure in his motive. He has no hidden agenda against you. He is not out to get you. He is not mad at you. He's not dangling carrots in front of your nose to get you to do what he wants you to do and jump through his hoops. He's just good, and he is, he's trying to give you the best he's got, and the best he's got is his son, and the only way he knows how to give it to you is the path that you're on, okay? So it's not about personal stuff with you. It's really not personal. He actually loves you as individuals and wants you to know him more than you want to know him. Okay. And there's nothing in your heart that can compare to what's in his. Um, but the thing is, as much as we love Jesus and want to know him, there's a lot of junk in us that we probably haven't seen. Okay. And it's not because we're necessarily trying to not see it, though that does happen sometimes. We just really are in a blissful state of self-deception because all of it's so normal that we don't even realize it's wrong until the Spirit of God just shines on it. And when he does and he picks out those hidden motives in our hearts and he shows them in light of the, just the goodness and the purity of the Lamb of God, it's really, it's really rough. It's not even like, oh, wow, I just realized how, how bad I was today. I couldn't believe it. It's more like it can, if you aren't really grounded in the finished work of the cross, it can send you over the edge. It's really that there's that much despair involved in, in the plight of the human race. <laughs> it really is that bad. And um, again, I don't mean to sound cynical. It's just that um, I, I don't claim to, to have a final knowledge on what's all in my heart, but I've seen enough to be absolutely convinced that um, there is not one good thing in me apart from Jesus, even if I don't know what it all is. There just, there just isn't. And the quicker, and if I, if I um, get prideful over something or get arrogant over something, then maybe I deserve to be taken down a few notches. I don't think, you know what I'm saying? Like it just, it's good for me to, to be, to see what's in there. (laughs) It's good for me. Um, But we will get so flipped out and condemned over it that he couldn't do anything else with us. So did you know that God leaves us in our deception to a degree thinking that, you know, we've got something to offer him and that, you know, we're so special and so great to him. And, and we're really, everyone else is kind of normal, got problems, but we're really the one that, you know, knows the Lord, knows what's going on. And all these little things in our hearts. Um, he lets us think that for now because to undeceive us may destroy us, which would thwart all of his purposes for our life. And he takes these things away and deals with these things as we are able to bear them. How is he supposed to purge all that is not Christ out of you if seeing it would destroy you? The only way that God can really deal with some of the things in us that have to be dealt with, the core part of us of pride, the core self-centeredness, not just the outward um, personality things, but I mean the core things, the real, the stuff that comes out when you don't get a chance to make a decision, that type of stuff. Um, How is he going to deal with that if you aren't fully grounded in the grace of God? How is he going to deal with that if you aren't firmly planted in your death with Christ? And realize you're already totally forgiven. He is treating you as a son, not as a sinner. He is not angry with you. He has crucified everything he didn't want. He's done all of this. And when you are grounded in that, now he could begin to do a little bit of housework. 
Now he could bring it out. Now, isn't that gracious that he would first do it, okay? Then he would establish us in his finished work and the goodness and the greatness of it and then begin to deal with your personal issues. Isn't that good? Because why, why would he want to totally destroy us, his vessels, who can't even bear up under such a judgment? I mean, we, we are so... God knows our frame that we are but dust. We are so feeble as human beings. We can't even bear up under righteousness. Righteousness is too heavy a burden for us. So he puts us in the sun, and we are hidden there. We are hidden from even from ourselves. We are even hidden from our own motives in our hearts. Until what time? He can deal with us. But see, you see, if it's going to really be you conform to the image of Christ, that other stuff has got to be gone. He doesn't let just Christ come out of you and mingle with all kinds of other carnality and selfishness. He deals with the other there's an experiential work at the cross that actually will purge that stuff out and Christ comes forth, but it's a terrible work. It really is devastating. It does devastate on the inside. And if you're not firmly grounded in Christ, it's really not a good place to be. Okay. So it's real important that we're grounded in Christ, not just in our theology, but in our hearts. Like truly embrace that I am in Christ. And sometimes you'll hear the Lord dealing with somebody about that around here. And you'll be like, how's it going? And they'll say, well, I'm in Christ. And sometimes that means I've had a bad day. <laughs> but sometimes it's the Lord's really dealing with somebody, and they're saying, it doesn't matter how I'm doing. It doesn't matter if the day's good. It doesn't matter if the day's bad. It doesn't matter if I exuded Jesus all day long or if everyone who came in contact with me got, you know, got grabbed by flesh. In this sense, my relationship with God is still in, complete, in completion. It is complete. It is whole. It is fullness. What I do here, and even the dealings that I go through by the Holy Spirit, in a certain sense, are disconnected in that how well I do here does not determine being in Christ, in that sense. Okay, So the firmness of the finished work of the cross, which includes forgiveness of sins, and it includes being identified in his death so that it will deal with that sin domination factor, Okay, all of that is part of the finished work of the cross that the Holy Spirit wants to teach you to believe in and believe into and to trust. And when you are able to overcome your own wayward emotions and and thinking that says the contrary to what the Lord says in his word about the finished work of the cross, then your feet are on a rock. Then he can do all kinds of stuff. He can do all kinds of stuff with you. But this is what has to happen first. There must be a seeing and a knowing that you are in Christ And being in Christ means that everything that's true of Christ is true of you. If you are in Christ, you are in his death. If you are baptized into Christ, you're baptized into his death, and you must know it. If you do not know it, you will not see the provision. You'll think something like, oh, I can just do everything I want to that's wrong, and God forgives me. Or, oh, I can't do that. That's not just, and that's not right, so I need to do something to remedy the situation where the cross has fallen short. Um, But he says, no, no, neither of those things. Don't you know? That if you're baptized into Christ Jesus, you're baptized into, into his death. Verse 4. Therefore, we are buried with him. Okay, we died with him, or we are baptized into his death, rather. Buried with him by baptism into death, that as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Okay, there's so much in this verse. We'll probably get stopped right here and have to do a part two next week, which is fine. Okay, in this verse... Something dies, when someone dies, we'll say it correctly, someone dies and is buried, and then there's resurrection and new life, okay? Death, as I have said before, is a complete ending. You don't, you know, it's not like snorkeling. 
you know, where you're underwater, but you got a little tube up and get some air. Okay, being sealed in a tomb is a very airtight situation because they don't want the decay of the body to get out, right? So you're not, you don't have any life support systems in the tomb. That means you're totally dead. You're good and dead. Three days dead, okay? Jesus was good and dead. Jesus wasn't like just holding his breath or snorkeling. You know, he was, <laughs> he was really dead. Um, but then he was raised again. Okay, so something ended, something died, and then there is resurrection and life. Okay, so tied to Jesus' death, what follows is Jesus' resurrection. So Paul reasons, um, there is a death that goes on here, and there's a death to sin. Okay, but it's not just death we're talking about. Death is not just for its own sake. You're dead, you're dead, you're dead. Dead, 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 dead. No, there's death so that there can be life. You're dead to sin, made dead to sin, so that you can walk in his life. Okay, we're not just trying to, it's not like fighting a grass fire, and you're just, the cross is just meant to beat out all the bad stuff. Dead to sin, dead to sin, dead to sin. You know, all the sparks of, the, of that old nature that pops up. Dead to sin, dead to sin, dead to sin. You're dead to sin, that. Life is God's goal, you guys. Okay, the cross is the passageway into life for you and for me, and for Jesus, for that matter. Okay, the, God's, God's eye is on the goal of you being filled with the reality of his life and walking in it every single day. God's, most of our goals is to extract sin out of our own life. We want to live a sinless life. That's our goal as human beings. God's goal for us is that we live a Jesus life. See, we're all about negatives. Get this out. Don't do this. Deal with me about that. The cross has to deal with this. None of this, none of that, none of that, none of this. But what do you have left? Not much if you're going to deal with the sin nature. There's not much left. But he wants us out or dead, dead to that, so that there can be something else that fills us other than that. It's not just about, no, you're dead. No, you're dead. No, you're dead. And that's the Christian walk. Dead, dead, dead. Under judgment, under judgment. Put it away. Believe you're dead. There's much more to Jesus than just being dead. Okay. Now, the only way to get to the much more is through the death of the cross. So everyone goes that way. And no one gets to cheat. No one gets to cheat. Okay. No one gets away with it in the family. If you're going to grow up into Christ, everyone passes this way. Okay. Um, On the other hand, um, if you think, well, I can't go that way, don't worry you're going to. <laughs> Whether you think you're an eager beaver who can get around it or you think, oh, I could never do that. We all go in the person in the body of Christ. So you, it's not about your individual. Again, it's not about your individual thing. Um, let's see. This goes back again to kind of what I've been harping on the first two classes. This all goes back to the fact that um, this is Jesus' death and not your death. Jesus died instead of you. And God is not trying to get you to die to sin. And I know that's a common way of saying it in the church world, and I'm not trying to make anyone feel embarrassed about what terminology they choose to use. And I'm really not too big on just crucifying people for saying things not quite right. But I will say this. Um, I feel like this is an important point, that God doesn't want you to die to sin. He wants you to know that you're already dead. And when something comes up in your life that seems to contradict the reality of your death with Christ, the answer isn't to say, oh God, help me to die to it. 
Okay, that's the wrong answer. You're already on the wrong track because God doesn't move along those lines. He does not individually deal with Debbie's sin. And so let's say Debbie um, is a kleptomaniac, and he's dealing with her about that. And Margareta, you know, she eats too much chocolate ice cream, and so he's dealing with her about that. And, oh, Jennifer, she does, you know, whatever, too much TV, you know, late at night. So she, And it's like this individual thing that he's got these tallies on people. He just dealt with the whole thing. Okay, he dealt with the whole thing. And the way to deal with it is not for God to deal with that one little thing in you. He's not going to try and deal with one little thing in you. He says, don't you know? If you go to Jesus and say, and if you're really in tune with the Lord, you say, oh, God, help me to die to this. You will hear him say, don't you know? That's what he, he won't say. Oh, okay, I'll deal with that for you. Deal for that. Deal with that for you. He won't say that. You'll never hear him say it. I'll put money on it. He won't. And that's why so many Christians still walk around going, I need to die to that. I need to die to that. No, we need to know that we're dead. And it's not splitting hairs. It is not splitting hairs. Because I will tell you the reassurance and the security and safety of knowing that you're already dead. And you may not know how to deal with this issue, this issue right, that, right now in your faith, but your faith is already hooked into Christ. Your faith is already there. You already know it's been dealt with. And it's up to you to learn him and his cross. But it's not about you trying to just strong arm a problem in your life. Okay? Um, it's not Jesus' death. Jesus doesn't care about your death. He's not interested. It stinks. He really, and we said this last week, I'm just recapping, it, it stinks. It's not, a sweet, it's not a sweet fragrance to him. So he will not answer your prayer. Okay? As a matter of fact, he disregarded that prayer 2,000 years ago when he accepted his son's death. Okay? And praise the Lord because we couldn't die anyway. I mean, we can't. The best we can do is commit suicide, and we all know that's not really God's way. So uh, it's Jesus' death, not yours. So, this brings up an interesting point. Um, you don't feel yourself dying. Not in this sense. We're talking about sin. The death of the cross that we identify into is not an experience. It's not something you feel happening. It already happened. And you came into it 2,000 years later, so how could you possibly feel it? It was a transaction between the Father and the Son. You weren't invited in this sense that you were not participating as a member that was bringing something to the table, okay? You get to believe into it and receive the effects and the benefits by living in Christ. And I'm going to show you this right now in this verse, okay? We are buried with him by baptism into death. We are buried with him. It doesn't say we die. It never says that we died, it says we were buried with him by baptism into death. Okay? <clears throat> You're not supposed to feel like you have died. It is um, something we are baptized into. Jesus died. We are baptized into a state of being dead. Now, this is important because we're all looking to feel like something's dying off. Jesus felt like he was dying off. <laughs> Jesus felt the effects of death running through his being. Okay, you don't feel that in reference to sin. Now, in my opinion, there are other aspects of the death of Jesus where that may happen, but not for your own redemption. You do not experience your own redemptive death. That was a substitutionary work that you can believe into, okay, including the identification. Now, there may be death working in your body in other aspects, and we're going to look at that later on in this quarter, okay, but that's not for now. So hold that thought if you're th- wondering about that and set it on a shelf, you know, don't forget about it because we are going to come back to it. But I'm talking about dealing with sin right now, dealing with this old nature that wants to have the dominion in you and in me. Okay? Jesus did the dying. We are baptized into a state of deadness. It's different than dying yourself. 
I don't know if you can tell the difference, but just if you can't, leave it for the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, that as Christ was raised, who had the experience, Jesus, up from the dead by the glory of the Father, we walk in newness of life. We don't feel raised. We just start walking. Okay, Jesus did the dying. Jesus did the being raised. We believe into death and we walk out the life. He did the deed. We believe into it. And the ramifications come into effect as in our lives as we believe into it. So it's not a personal experience. It is a faith relationship. It's faith that God has already done it and we don't have to add anything to that work. So that when sin comes up and that hardness is just like, I hate this. I love Jesus. I'm ashamed that this has dominion over me. I don't want it in my life. And the first reaction is do something about it. Right? And usually in the flesh. Either we keep it right in front of our face and like try and pick it to pieces or we try and suppress it or we, you know, rearrange our schedule in our life to avoid that very thing. You know, if it's, you know, chocolate ice cream like it is in Margareta's example, maybe she won't go down the frozen food section when she goes to the grocery store. You see, we try and we try and like manipulate our lives so that thing won't come out anymore or whatever. And he's saying the key is to know. If you know, you'll be confident. And when that tug does come in that direction, you'll go, I'm not even going to react to the tug in my strength. I'm putting all my faith right this moment that I am dead with Christ and that thing has to come under that reality of Christ as I'm, I'm hooked into him by faith. That's how you handle it. That's how you handle it. Um, Let's see. I guess I'll read a few of these um, notes here just to make sure that I covered it. And I kind of covered some of this, but I just want to make sure. In order to identify in Jesus' death, you must first understand that it is not your death. You did not die. Jesus did. You are not supposed to feel like you have died. Your death with Christ is not your experience. It is something that satisfies God's heart. He looks at Jesus' death and he sees you dead. Because he sees you dead with Christ, you are able to live with him. Jesus died. I am baptized into his death. Jesus was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. I walk in newness of life. The transaction to make all of this true for me happened without my knowledge. It just happened. Jesus did it. The Father says, this is how I'm going to see everybody who believes into Christ. And if the whole world's still ignorant of it till Paul comes along and writes this letter. But that's how God was viewing everybody before there was any spiritual knowledge about it. Well, that's pretty good. That's pretty cool, huh? That means he's seeing you that way all the time. Even when you're even in your personal struggles, he sees you dead with Christ. That's kind of nice. <laughs> so I guess I'll say something about spiritual knowledge right now. Um, your knowledge doesn't make it true. Jesus made it true. Okay? And your knowledge gives you access to it. Knowledge is not a status symbol or shouldn't be in the church. Spiritual knowledge is not a status symbol. Spiritual knowledge is not a tool for you to build your own throne. Okay? Or build your own pedestal about how, how spiritually knowledgeable you are or I am or whatever. Spiritual knowledge causes you to conform, which will satisfy God's heart and yours. Okay, it's it's a tool. It's not the goal. And the Father knows you're in Christ. You're the one who doesn't know. I'm the one who doesn't know. He already knows that. He's so settled. He's not worried. He's not worried at all. He's not worried about the sin problem. In his heart, he honestly thinks it's been dealt with. He's not even saying, well, it's dealt with. Get along with the deal. Come on now. Get with the program. He's like, what's the big deal? It's been dealt with. Why is everyone so flipped out about it? 
Jesus has to go, well, the Holy Spirit needs to renew their minds. And the Father says, oh, yeah, that's right. Not really. I'm just saying, in his mind, he is so, he so completely believes it. He's so settled in it. And that should reassure us that it's okay to be settled in this. <laughs> but he's going to, he's utterly devoted to this union relationship thing. He is utterly devoted to it. He has thrown, he has put all his eggs in this basket, you guys. He does not have plan B. This is it. This is his plan. Okay? And he thinks of you this way all the time. And what will bring you into fellowship with him experientially is when you think this way all the time, (laughs) you see. And so he's not trying to make it true of you. He's trying to help you see what's already true of you because then you'll walk according to it and it will transform you on the inside, okay? So I say spiritual knowledge. I'm not talking about some kind of race for, you know, who knows what or who hears the motion of the Holy Spirit or whatever. I know that that stuff gets in to places where there's the Spirit is active in revealing Christ because there's that deeper knowledge thing that begins to puff people up. But when I'm talking about spiritual knowledge, I'm talking about you beginning to see the way God sees from spirit eyes and therefore you come into that that faith fellowship with him that's going to that's going to transform you it's going to bring about those changes that you really you do desire you know and that we all desire um so identification in christ's death is not you experiencing your own death it is faith in what he did not an experience that you have um and i'm, I'm going to hit this again i'm going to say it again you do not ever feel like you're dying to sin i need to feel like i'm dying am i dying i don't feel like i'm dying because that's going to cause you a lot of confusion you are taught by the Spirit to know that you're dead already. You never start at the starting point in this sense. Jesus had to go through this whole thing, and he started to die, and then he was dying on the cross, and then he died. Okay, you, don't have, you don't have that. You enter into the finished state of deadness. You just enter into it by faith. You don't go through the experience of it. You enter into being dead. You don't ever, it's not you going, <gasps> you know, that doesn't happen. You believe into it, and it begins immediately to take effect immediately takes effect when faith is, is linked. Um, and this is a discipline. The, the, the learning to believe this way, I believe, is developed by the Holy Spirit. It may take some time for some believers who have, a, you know, struggles with their faith or whatever. And I know it did for me. So, you know, I don't mean just, okay, believe it. Oh, you know, everything's perfect. And, so, and then someone else is going, oh, did you know you? Because it doesn't look like that. You know, we, we all are on a journey of knowing. And we all come revisit these things through our lives again and again and come back to Romans 6 again and again many different times. And even in the last couple of months before I was asked to teach the class, I actually had a little um, Romans 6 renaissance where something popped up in my life that I was really not happy that was there. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this thing is just controlling me. And it's sin. I mean, it's not even just like, you know, we can kind of, it was really not good. And I was like, Lord, oh, yeah, Romans 6. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I was like, I'm dead. I hadn't been confronted with something like that for so long. And, and that, was, that was something so in my face and controlling. And I was like, well, I'm believing I'm dead with Christ. I'm not going to lift a finger to save myself. I'm going to trust that my salvation happened in Jesus. And his death made me dead. And that thing would start to pull. I'd say, I was already made to be dead. And I'm putting my faith, my, all my faith eggs in one basket in Christ. And that thing just kind of went away. I was like, wow, it really does work. It's just so cool. But there's, you know, there's the, there's the learning of that faith relationship. You know, there's a learning of that faith relationship. So um, it's the same with his life. Okay, you don't feel, wait to feel the life. I feel alive. I feel like I'm being raised up or I feel like it's Jesus in me so I can move now. So I'm going to sit around and wait till I can feel as though it's Jesus in me. Just the way that you reckon upon his dying, his death to be your death. You reckon on the fact that because he was raised, you can now just walk. You can like step into the river of the flow of his life. 
Okay. Jesus is like the spring that it sprung up out of the ground and began to flow. But at whatever point of the riverbank you're on, whether you're like two miles from the where the water came out of the ground, or if you're a hundred miles down river, the minute you get in, you're carried by the flow. Just like that. So it's not about trying to wait till God does some sort of like ethereal working where you feel like it's all Jesus in you. Okay. Where do you think I get this stuff? Okay. Like that, I'm waiting. It's not Jesus yet because I don't feel it. Well, I don't even know what Jesus feels like. I mean, I don't even know what I'm saying. I'm just so confused. You know, but the fact of the matter is he is always, his life is always a flow. And the minute you step, choose to step, it's just like getting into a river. If you're going to, or getting into the ocean, the minute you decide to put your foot in the ocean, you're in the ocean. You know, it's an act, in essence, it's kind of an act of your will that your faith is determined by, I'm going to do this. I want to believe the Lord. I'm going to believe the Lord. And it's, you begin to be developed in the fact that you can step into his life. And you can, you begin to discover that has nothing to do. You can have a totally bad day. You can feel so dried up and you have nothing to offer. You know, you've done, you've yelled at somebody and you're feeling yucky inside because you knew you were in the wrong. And all this stuff happens and God puts you in a situation and you go, it needs to be Jesus right now. And it, and it comes out. It needs to be Jesus right now. And he begins to develop you in this. And this is not just a one-time thing. I believe that there is a time where you begin to really tune into this. But this will develop in you as time goes on where you can be in the middle of a situation where you've always gone with the selfish flow in you. You've always done it. And you go, just like when I had a horrible, horrible day and ended up at evening church service and turned and just tuned into Jesus and he was there. I'm going to do it right now in this situation. I'm just going to believe that I am walking in newness of life based on his resurrection. I don't have to feel it and make that step of an action. That's Christ and watch, watch, you know, watch yourself get out of the boat and walk on the water, you know, watch that the Lord follows through and it's just amazing. And you begin to realize it has nothing to do with you. It's not about who, how spiritual anybody is or even how much, you know, cause there's, you know, still issues with how much people know and all that. I know. But um, it's not about you at all. It's about his work. The work is true. God has decreed that whoever believes into Christ can step into his life at any time he wants to step into his life. It, doesn't, it has nothing to do with the person. If one person does it in AD 1100 and no one ever does it again, it's exactly the same as if every single Christian ever did it from the time Jesus was raised until the time this world is, you know, all done. It has nothing to do with who taps in. It's the way it is for whoever taps in. Because it's not about our personal ups and downs, rights and wrongs, where do I stand, what is God doing in me right now. Christ is simply who he is. And who the Lord, how the Lord causes us to relate to him by Christ's identification is always true regardless of the person. The work is finished. Whoever is baptized into Christ is baptized into death. And whoever has been buried with Jesus by baptism into his death, can walk in newness of life. If we know. If we know. Okay. Um, let's see. Verse 5. Then we may, maybe we may stop with verse 5 here and just pick up next week. Um, oh, here's that word again. No, that's verse 6. Never mind. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, your King James says, we shall also be... We shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. But if your version is like mine, you have a lot of italicized words in there. So I crossed them out, and it reads more like this. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also of resurrection. Okay? Um, It's one thing. Okay? We separate death and resurrection because it's two things in time and space. But Jesus' death always brings about Jesus' resurrection. 
It's it's a guarantee. Being planted together in his death guarantees an experience of life. Okay? We'll be of the resurrection. Okay? You don't skip the death and go, oh, I just want to be Christ's life. I just want to be Christ's life. If you want to be Christ's life, you have to back up and start at the cross. Okay? You start at the cross. It's your beginning. It's one thing. The death and the resurrection are not separated. And this is just a little hint for future things to come. If you're in a situation and it's just lots of deadness there and not a whole lot of life, the answer isn't to put life in it. The answer is to put Jesus' death in it. (laughs) And that will bring forth life. It will bring forth life. Okay. Well, just to wrap up today, we're talking about identification And in case you hadn't noticed, what we're talking about is the identification is Jesus died, but everything that was true of Jesus in his death and resurrection, God counts to us. Okay? That's the identification. Identification is a faith relationship, not a feeling one. Okay? You believe into something, and feelings may or may not play along nice. And um, usually, I'll tell you at first, they don't, because they're used to going another route, and you're holding up and changing directions. They don't know what to do about that. So I will tell you that, that in your experience, things can be a little rough if you decide that this is the, <laughs> this is the path it's time for you to take. Um, but ultimately, your feelings and your mind do come around as long as your heart continues to follow Jesus. Okay, They learn to come into the government, under the government of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the actual death of Christ is not your experience. It's something you believe into. That Jesus died, you, you are made to be dead. Jesus was raised, you walk in new life, okay? It's a faith relationship, not based on trusting what God is doing in you, but trusting what God already did in Christ, okay? And you become manifestors of the completed work as opposed to a manifestor of your personal dealing. (laughs) All right, any questions or comments before we close?